0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. If we haven't met yet, hi, I'm Liz Moody. I'm the author of the Healthier Together Cookbook and a longtime writer for publications like Mind Body Green, Goop, Marie Claire, Vogue, and a ton of others. And of course, I am the host of This Here Podcast. I am so excited to share this episode with you, which is featuring my amazing friend, Laura Lee. Laura Lee is the woman behind Laura Lee Balance, which is a blog and a mega successful cookbook that was released a few years back. She's actually just finishing up her follow-up book right now, which we talk about in this episode. So definitely be on the lookout for that because I am positive it's one you will want to add to your collection. Laura Lee is a natural food chef. She actually went to culinary school. She went to one of the two natural foods culinary schools in the country. And our food philosophies are super, super similar, which we connected about immediately. I actually had her on as one of the special guests at my Nashville book tour stop. And she kept stealing all of my answers because we have like the same secret pantry staples like onion powder, which makes absolutely everything taste better, and tamari, which is one of my favorite ways to add umami to everything, but apparently it's one of hers too, so she'd say the are first and I'd have to come up with a whole, a whole different one. We also love both like – we love like super comforting, delicious childhood flavors, but made really healthy, so we connected about that for sure. I say this in the episode, but Laura Lee is one of those women who just – exudes self-assuredness. She feels like she really knows who she is and what she wants, and she isn't afraid to go after it, even if it differs from society's expectations. But man, she has gone through some stuff to get there. We get into so much in this episode from the crippling insomnia and anxiety that was taking over her life at one point. We talk about that a lot. So if you've suffered from insomnia or anxiety, I am positive that you will have some amazing takeaways from this episode I definitely did we talk about her divorce and her relationships we talk about balancing her hormones and getting her period back after years without it we talk about how she quit her corporate job to go after her dreams and to go to culinary school and write her cookbook and all of that and that was a really interesting story for me because I we talk about both like the logistical stuff like How did you get enough money to take a chance like that in your life? But also the more mental stuff, which is like, how did you get the gumption to to take that kind of leap, which I think is really scary for a lot of people. So if you're looking to make a big life change, I think you will learn or just even contemplating, you know, going after your dream life. I think you'll take a lot – from this. I love this episode. I learned so much from it in these very specific, actionable ways. Like I'm definitely going to be trying her morning wellness tonic, but also in a larger way. Like this is how you come into yourself as a self-actualized human. Like this is how you become who you were meant to be. She's so open and she is so funny. And she also has the cutest cat that I have ever seen in my life. Like Truly, it was hard for me to pay attention to the interview at points because the cat was so darn cute. So, definitely follow her on Instagram at Laura Lee Balanced. That's Lee spelled L E A. So, it's Laura L E A Balanced. And on her blog, llbalanced.com. Speaking of fascinating women, have you joined the LM Book Club over on Instagram? We're talking about three women, which is about three fascinating women by Lisa Tadeo, who is another fascinating woman this month. And I think – I don't want to jinx it, but we're trying to work out a date for her to come on the podcast so we can talk about the state of sex among women today. But in the meantime – this book it blew my mind, and I cannot wait to discuss it with you. To join, you just have to read the book, which I announce on Instagram. I'm at Liz Moody. I'm sure you guys all know that every month, and then we have an Insta Live date where we drink wine and we discuss it. And as you know, with most book clubs, you're sort of starting off by discussing the book, but then it goes off into life and um, you know all of the tangents of the things that books make us think about, which is one of the reasons they're so incredible. So I'm sure this one's going to be fascinating. It's about the whole book is about sex and relationships, so I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of good tangents there. I am obsessed with reading, like I'm a fangirl for it, I'm an evangelist for it. I write the monthly books column for Mind Body Green and I love this book club. So, come talk with us about Three Women this weekend. Even if you didn't read it, you can just come and talk about sex with us. You can talk about relationships with us. I think it'll be really, really fun and then I'll announce the next book so you can read it for September. All right. I hope you love this episode. Feel free to screenshot it as you're listening and tag me and Laura Lee and tell us what's resonating with you or any questions you have or any of that. I love, love, love getting to continue the conversation from here over to actually getting the feedback from all of you and hearing what you think. So I cannot wait to hear from you and enjoy Laura Lee on the Healthier Together podcast all right laura lee welcome to the podcast thank you i'm sitting in your stunning stunning home i always like to like give a sense of place at the beginning of a podcast and you have the cutest it's it's very calming and soothing and feminine but not in like an annoying girly way your home it's like thank you blue tones and
1: yeah a little blue and kind of like coral is my is my favorite look and i fell in love with it because it just has so much light like People can't see, but there's – my an entire wall is garage doors. I, know. I
0: don't even – I'm so I, – I try to take food yeah. photos in my stupid New York City it's apartment. It's so hard. I have, like, two windows. Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: I believe it. It's really hard. Even actually where I used to live, even though it was a lot more, like – what's the word? Square footage. There were so, to find good food photography lighting is so hard. And this has actually made the cookbook writing process easier because there's just more times of the day that are available. Like I had. Wait, so do you do all your own photography? Yeah. I do my photography. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, that's insane. I feel like the reason I enjoy writing cookbooks is because it's the only time I don't have to do the photos. See, I love it. I'm free from it.
1: I love doing it. I'm obsessed with it. It's I probably like it as much as I like the every other of the process. Recipe. That's yeah. so
0: interesting. Okay, so you're writing your second cookbook yeah. now. Can we start off by just telling me a little bit about that? Because I know your first cookbook was such a huge
1: hit. What's the vibe of the second one? Thank you. So the vibe of the second, so sort of like big picture, it's not dramatically different. I'm not trying to like reinvent the wheel or follow a specific theme. I mean, I thought about it thought about, you know, Laura holiday or whatever, but I, I really didn't want to do that because the premise of my business, I really want it to be like family friendly, a little bit of something for everybody really accessible. So the structure of the book is very similar and it's, you know, approachable comfort food, inspired, like repeat ingredients kind of, um, lot of information in the beginning about the why and the, and you know, the details about why I choose what I do and my sort of health tenants. What are your health tenants? So, I mean, I would say the biggest picture things are more about mindset than they are about food. I think that's at the crux of what most women struggle with. At least that's what I see is what what's more effective than changing somebody's diet is changing their perspective about the choices that they make. So for me, it's really about like getting rid of the dogma and the dieting mentality. And I think that's why I don't sort of exclude any one particular thing. I mean, my first cookbook was gluten-free and dairy-free, but it was almost accidentally that way. I didn't really set out to make it follow those specific, you know, food rules, um, I was just playing around with those more because I wanted to offer people creative alternatives if they do need that. But I would say it's, you know, the concept of balance, not as we think of balance traditionally, which is like homeostasis. You know, I mean, that doesn't exist as far as I know. As far as I know, nobody lives a traditionally you know balanced life. But to me, balance is very synonymous with like intuition. So I find that people's lives will stay in a sense in a place of what feels like balance, like a really sort of good comfort zone if they're tuned in to their body and their emotions because then you can adjust accordingly it's when we're relying so externally on this all this food you know and, and nutrition noise around us and all the gurus and all of that that's when we get really out of whack because we end up going to extremes and we have no idea what actually our bioindividuality needs um so yeah i mean balance but in that particular sense you know, indulging in moderation, but like also in not in moderation is a big thing for me. And yeah. And then food that helps you keep a healthy perspective and mindset.
0: So what you like bio-individuality is obviously Mm -hmm. important to you. What feels good for you from a dietary perspective?
1: Yeah. So I'm really lucky because honestly, I don't, I don't have, I'm allergic to mango, which is super weird. I know. Um, Do you just get like rashy? Yeah. If I, so mango plus like sun exposure gives me what looks like the worst sun burn you've ever had. It's like sun poisoning, basically. It's really strange. It's something about the enzymes in the skin. And it actually happened for the first time when I was in college and I went and ate a bunch of mangoes because they were my favorite fruit. And then I went to the tanning bed. I know. Yeah, Yeah. And then I went to a wedding. So I went to the tanning bed and then a wedding and it doesn't, show up for like 36 hours. So I was actually in the middle of the wedding when I felt this rash, like come over my face. It was horrible. And I had a fever for like four days. And anyway, so honestly, other than that, I don't have particular food intolerances or sensitivities. So like I can eat gluten, even like the bad quality, and I can eat dairy, like even the bad quality um, in moderation, you know, and really not notice much of a difference. And so I'm grateful for that, not just from a health perspective, but I do think it makes it easier for me to make food. That's a little bit there where there's a little bit of something for everybody. So I think for me, the foundation of, um, like my food is just primarily things that are whole foods based, uh, that are micronutrient rich and that have fiber, but I'm pretty chill when it comes to like enjoying things, whether it's like a muffin from my local bakery or even like something that's like a little more processed, you know, as a snack, if I'm on a road trip or whatever. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't like to use percentages like, like 80, macros. 20, but I feel like it, yeah, but I feel like it kind of ends up being that way just by virtue of most of the time I want to feel good. And if I kind of like go too far in the direction of eating all the stuff, It's more just energy-related that I notice rather than like physiological.
0: But you weren't always like this. You have spoken before about how you suffered from an eating disorder at point. Oh, yeah, for sure. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I was – I guess orthorexic is probably the best word for it when I lived in New York from probably from 20 – I would say 2011 to 2013 was when it was like pretty bad. No, that's not true. 2010 to 2012 was when I was – pretty severely orthorexic, which essentially just means that you need to be like perfectly healthy to the point where you're restricting calories and it's a terrible mindset. And living in New York city and I was walking miles and miles and I was working out all the time. So even though I was technically eating three meals a day and snacking, it wasn't nearly enough calories for what my body was putting out. And I knew that, but it was totally control-based. And so I didn't eat anything that wasn't, that I didn't consider perfectly healthy in my own, you know, within my own food rules. And over the course of a couple of years lost, I mean, I was, I probably lost like 25 pounds from where I am now, um, and was just in a really, really dark place physically. And I thought I was being healthy and I was, I was very much in sort of like the calorie counting kind of orthorexia. Like my version of healthy was taking like the box cake mix and putting in, you know, diet soda, like a, like a can of diet soda and then like sugar-free frosting. And you know what I mean? It was just as low calorie as it could get. That was my jam. And then because I was like, ooh, I'm healthy. I'm doing all this healthy stuff. I'm going to go to healthy culinary school. So I applied to culinary school at the Natural Gourmet Institute, which either is or will soon no longer be in existence. It's getting subsumed by the Institute of Culinary Education. So I think there will be a lot of those same professors or um, teachers and classes. But anyway, so I went to NGI, which was one of only two schools in the country where you get like a certified chef holistic chef degree and that schooled me. I mean what I thought was healthy when I went in there was I'm um, just miles from what I realized it it is for me today still when I graduated. I mean that's where I really learned about the importance of healthy fat and the importance of obviously eating enough and listening to your body, understanding hunger cues. And so by the time I graduated I was much healthier. I had a much better relationship with food, but it's still took a few years after I, after I graduated, I moved, moved back here to Nashville. And I would say it took a few years then to, um, get to what I would consider like a pretty sustainable place.
0: And what, what helped you get there? Like what was taking a few years?
1: You know, I think a lot of it was just challenging myself. Um, I think I knew I knew in the back of my mind subconsciously and then in a much more obvious conscious way, I knew that I was orthorexic because, you know, there were things I said no to because I was afraid of the menu. And I would like if, I, if, if something was wrapped in a tortilla, like tear off parts of the tortilla. And so I still had these behaviors that I I was conscious that they were not healthy behaviors. And so as a, as that became something that I was willing to be aware of, I, I realized I didn't want, I didn't want to feel trapped by those rules. And so I just started to challenge myself and push myself and go out of my comfort zone. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do for, for everybody, but I just started saying yes to all the dinners and like eating the whole burrito and having a Snickers, God forbid, things that like, I don't even really crave, you know, in my life day to day, but that were really important steps, hurdles for me to jump over to get to a place of not being afraid of food. Do you like your body now? Yeah, I like do. Like every day, yeah. all the time? Um, for the most, I mean, for the most part. So I will say my body, it was definitely underweight, but that was never the goal. <clears throat> Losing weight was a byproduct of my need to control my life because I was utterly miserable when I lived in the city. I was really anxious and probably depressed now looking back on it. So the weight loss completely ensued from just feeling like food was the one thing that I could control day in and day out. I didn't like my body when it was that thin. I really didn't like it. I had like no curve. I did not look womanly. I didn't look good. I looked like sickly. And so I really, and I I mean, even at the time, i remember not liking the way I looked in the mirror, but sort of not putting together that it was happening because of these other choices I was making. My anxiety got a lot better after I started eating more healthily and went to culinary school and moved back to Nashville. That really helped with my anxiety, but my anxiety still... I think for some personal reasons, was a struggle for a couple years after I moved, and I actually started taking anxiety medication. I started taking Celexa, which is an SSRI, and my whole life I've had like a really flat stomach just naturally. Just that's just not where fat has gone in my body. And as soon as I went on that Celexa, I gained ten pounds of like stomach, like like middle body fat, and so it was only really obvious to me and probably someone who's known me my whole life. Um, but I didn't feel totally comfortable with it just because it didn't feel like my body, you know? Uh, and I wasn't used to dressing for it. I mean, that sounds silly because it it wasn't so much like a, something I thought was good or bad or right or wrong. It's just, I'd always been someone who wore like pretty tight tank tops and wore like crop tops and stuff like that. So I had to change my wardrobe and, and I also didn't like that it was related to the fact that I was on medication. So, I was a little uncomfortable with my body for a couple of years. I actually just weaned off of Celexa a couple of months ago. I was on it for a couple um couple of years and like within so the way first of all, let me just preface this by saying I worked with two professionals to wean off of my SSRI and they both knew it was going on. I had natural supplements to help me and I used a titrating protocol, so I was on 20 milligrams. I did basically 18.5 milligrams for a month, 15 milligrams for a month, 10 milligrams for a month, five milligrams for a month, and then to zero. So, um, I would never recommend going cold Turkey without a professional or anything like that. But all those to say within a month of being off of it, like that, that weight that was just in my stomach, just like completely disappeared. And I, I mean, anyone who follows me on social media, you know, like I don't wear bathing suits on my social media. Nobody, nobody knows except I just feel more comfortable in my body. But yeah, I mean, I was a little self-conscious, but I never really talked about it maybe in one YouTube video because I just felt stupid saying that, you know? Do you, okay. So talk to me about the selects a little bit. Was it, first of all, let's
0: start with, were you anxious growing up? Was this an always thing for you or did this come about when you moved to New York or some other sort of life event?
1: That is a great question. Yes, I would always say I was an anxious person. I would say I, like, have a predilection for anxious, like, tendencies. When I was little, my nickname was uh, Princess in the P, because when I was in bed, if there was, like, the tiniest thing – I'm still like this – the tiniest thing, like a hair out of place – Anyone who ever has to fall asleep next to me—it's unless they're like narcoleptic, which actually my boyfriend basically is narco- narcoleptic—I'm just a pain in the butt. Are you like
0: arranging them? You're like yeah, they
1: need to be far away. But like it's like everything like my I'm like scratching and itching and moving and fixing, and so I've always been just sort of like a maybe a, a sensitive person or something, um, and then I would say I was a worrier. I went through a major hypochondriac phase, but most of that went away. Um, during college and high school, I don't really remember it uh, too much, I think, with the distractions of life and growing up. And it wasn't until I got back to New York. That's not true. That's not true. At the beginning of college, and I think this was in large part to just not taking care of myself, I did have several panic attacks in college where I took myself to the ER thinking I was having a heart attack. And I would get like heart palpitations, and that kind of thing. And then that continued into New York. So I spent, I mean, thousands of dollars going to the hospital for a short. And what did they do? Well, they would do an EKG. But the thing is, like, by the time you get in for your EKG, you're usually you, the panic attack has subsided, or at least for me it had. Yeah. So there was nothing that would show up on the on the EKG, and so they would send me home, you know, with an expensive bill. And so I was like, I'm not crazy. Something's wrong with me. And they weren't like you're no, having, having anxiety.
0: anxiety, like maybe you should go see a therapist? I don't even think, that, I don't even
1: think that, that word was used. No, these were like, because this was emergency room, you know? So they were like, in and out, we don't care. By the third time, I did insist on, I was like, someone help me with like who I should go see. So they actually, again, didn't, I mean, they didn't say anxiety, but they sent me to a cardiologist. And so- my cardiologist actually found something called mitral valve prolapse, which is basically it means you have like a leaky valve and it's typically not dangerous at all. Um, but what it, it can cause actual chest pain. And so, and then you would feel the, chest yeah, pain so and it then would then snowball. Would, yeah. Right. So it turned out that I had this thing that was like a very mild, it's just, you know, this, whatever it is, heart condition, but, um, that sounds a lot scarier than it is. And so as soon as I knew that that was a thing, the, the panic attacks, like the hospital visits stopped, but I still would have like heart skipping a beat and, and palpitations and like a lot of tra- like insomnia was, a, has been a huge issue for me in my life. And a lot of that, and that, yeah, started in college and then kind of trailed off and then picked up again in New York, and then um, it got dramatically better when I moved home. And then... About- Why did you
0: move to... I mean, New York seems like it was such like Girl, a- I don't
1: know. No, I know. I do know. So, well, part of it was because I went to Virginia for college, and, like, everyone goes there. It's just this, like, mass exodus up to the city for some reason. So all my friends were going, so I was like, I guess I'll go. Okay. Did you kind of know it was wrong for you, like, immediately? Immediately, yeah. I mean, three weeks in. I did... I did have a, well, the guy I was dating at the time was younger than me and he was still at Virginia, but his family lives in Connecticut. And so part of the reason why I wanted to stay there, even when I realized I wasn't happy was because it was a lot easier for me to see him. Um, cause I could go down to Virginia and whatever. So I stayed there despite the fact that very quickly I was like, this is just not a good fit. Also, I went there thinking I was going to be a lawyer and I worked as a paralegal thinking I would apply for law school. And worked at a big corporate firm. And three weeks into that, I mean, I had the law associates coming up to me and being like, don't do it. Run away. Like run for the hills, you know? And that's not knocking. I mean, look, if you love being a lawyer, that's great. But th- we're not living in, this is not the eighties where you can like make a ton of money being a lawyer and like potentially be litigating cases. Like now, if you want to be a lawyer, you got to really, really want it because it's a very different world. And so anyway, and that wasn't me. Why so. did you think you wanted to be a lawyer? Well, like you, I've always been a writer. I mean, that's always been like my sort of favorite way to express myself. I love to write. And so that led to um, being involved with Mock Trial because we got to like write our speeches. So and I fell in love with Mock Trial. Because, duh, it's like cool murder cases, you know what I mean? It's like being a lawyer in a movie. Yeah, exactly. So I loved mock trial. So then I thought, well, I'll be an English major when I go to college. And then I think being a lawyer would be really fun. And it was just, it was a very natural trajectory. So I was an English major and it just felt like the right next step with all the things I'd been interested in and, you know, to that, to date. (laughs) So anyway, yeah. And then I was like stuck there because the truth is you can make a pretty good living as a paralegal at a big corporate firm with overtime. But as you know, in the city, I mean, you, if you're not in finance, you're probably not making any money, you know? And so I, at that point, I didn't know what else I could possibly do. I, there was no way I could get into finance. I didn't have like the background of, for that at all. And so you're like, and I, there was I nothing have creative do like, how do I pay for it other than that? Yeah. And so I thought I would just, you know, have fun. I would just enjoy like the social life. And so I was going out all the time and like, Drinking way too much and sleeping in way too late and doing all of that, and that was when I mean my body just freaked out and I was miserable and I wasn't taking care of myself and that was when like the orthorexia kind of took over and I was still having major anxiety.
0: Were you still having panic attacks or was it no more the just panic like attacks had pretty anxiety. much stopped at that
1: point? Yeah, I was just like generalized anxiety. Um, that felt very circumstantial. I still think ma- my major bouts of anxiety have been very circumstantial to my life. So that was circumstantial. And then basically in my time in culinary school, it was like gone. Like the second, the second I made the decision to quit my job and go to culinary school, like my anxiety disappeared. It
0: wasn't like gone. Were you, how did you do that though? With the aforementioned, like, how do you pay for your life? Blah, blah, blah. Like how did you get the one, the yeah. balls to make that life decision? And then two, logistically, how did you make that? Life? decision.
1: Yeah, so um so emotionally it was because it just got so bad that So I had two paralegal-esque jobs. One was technically working compliance at a hedge fund. So I moved from a firm in the city to I was reverse commuting to Greenwich and working as a compliance, legal compliance person at a hedge fund. And I'll be honest, I hope these girls aren't listening. But the girls working there were like not nice to me at all. I mean, really mean, like mean. And I've never had like a mean girl experience. But there was also some major, um, there was like some dark situations happening where I worked and... Every day I walked in with like butterflies in my stomach, just scared to like, just terrified, terrified to be there, terrified to have to go back the next day. And I think when it got so bad, I did have kind of a revelatory moment. I was like, I'm 27. I'm single. I have a great education and a great family. Like why in the world am I doing this? You know, like, there has to there has to be a way the idea that i'm incapable of changing my life at 27 is just crazy and so you know very serendipitously you could what if you you can call it luck or god or the universe or energy or whatever but within the same week i got a call from a friend who said i'm working for this company called health warrior i don't know if you're familiar with like their chia bars she said they need a northeastern marketing manager it pays x and it's completely flexible you'd be your own boss and do you know anyone who'd be interested? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. That would be me. And so I took the job like that day over the phone, enrolled in culinary school and like quit. Uh, I, I think I tried to, I think I waited like a couple weeks, but I ended up quitting my job very quickly started working for health Warrior. so it just kind of came together where I had this, this clarifying moment and then this opportunity to, you know, pay for my life fell into place, happened. And I mean, I, so I had gone to an open house at NGI like six months prior, but I just, and I loved it, but I just didn't have the guts to, to officially enroll or do anything at that moment. But when I came back like six months later to officially enroll, they were like, oh, we've been waiting for you. Like we knew you'd be back. I
0: also just love the sentiment that like, I think a lot of people can feel trapped in their lives and like, there's definitely no way, but it is true that you can pretty much always change your life in some way. You just kind of need to step back and like look at it a different way. 100%. You know, it's never It's never too late. Even, you know, my dad's in his late 60s and he's changing his life completely right now. Like I just – I don't think there's any point where you're so trapped that you can't. Good for him. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Well, both
1: – and part of it is my parents were inspirations to me too because both of them switched careers. I mean, my dad's had multiple post-retirement and my mom who – Was an interior designer, then a stay at home mom, decided to go back and get a counseling degree at Vanderbilt when we were in college. And so she started working actually at the school I went to, the all girls school I went to, as a counselor. And then the head of the middle school uh, quit. And so they asked my mom to be the interim head while they were finding the head of school. She did such a great job that my mom then became the head of this, you know, good all, you know, very good all girls school for eight years. And watching her do that, was really inspiring. And I think you hit the nail on the head that it's just about zooming out and it's just about getting a different perspective, looking at it a different way, because I find it very hard to believe that most 27 year olds who have people who love them and like a somewhat solid education can't do something different than what they're doing.
0: Well, and also you live one life. Like, why not have seven different careers? And And most yeah.
1: And that's changing a lot too. Like the whole paradigm of, you know, you find your job and you do your job until you retire. Like that's changing rapidly, you know? So if your anxiety got so much better with NGI and then
0: um, moving back to Nashville, what sparked this Alexa? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, I think what I will say to that is I think... It was a deep seated sense of misalignment and and I don't want to get too too much into it because there was there's no one there's never anyone to blame for my anxiety other than myself. I am completely in control of my feelings and my life and all of that. I think I was in a place where I knew I wasn't that, that wasn't right for me. I knew my life. I I had made choices that didn't feel right for me and didn't feel right for the people in them, which then caused me a lot of guilt. Um, I felt very misplaced and I, and, and yeah, misaligned is really the best way. And it was on a very like deep seated, like gut level. And so I couldn't, the main, so the main, um, symptom of that was that I couldn't sleep to save my life. I couldn't sleep like at all. Like my fair my therapist, First, she was like, oh, don't worry, because people say that. But like, just give it three nights of not sleeping. You'll sleep like a bit. Well, for most people, it's one night. If you have one bad night, then you sleep really well the next night. She was like, give it a few nights. And I was like, "Okay, okay." Six months later, I had slept maybe three or four hours a night every single night, like on a good night. I was delirious. How are you? Yeah. How are you at all? I barely, I barely worked. I would, I, th- there are some recipes from that time on my blog, but that was about all I had the energy for was to like make recipes and write them. But I couldn't see people. I couldn't exercise. It so
0: unfair when you have any sort of insomnia thing that like you're exhausted all day, but then none of that translates into being tired enough yeah. at night to sleep.
1: No, if anything, I think insomnia breeds insomnia. Just like good sleep breeds good sleep. And yeah, for me, my brain was stronger than my body. And like, I was, it was just so anxious and restless. And I just, this had this like frenetic energy and I spent thousands of dollars. We, we, my, you know, my ex and I at the time spent thousands of dollars on treatments. trying all the different- Yeah, yeah. And I will say, I mean, he was super supportive of it. It was really difficult for him too. And we tried, I mean, we tried traditional therapies, Eastern therapies, you know, brain, very expensive brain stuff. And it really just did not move the needle for me. I still really, really struggled with my sleep. And um, I mean, and I, and other symptoms, like I really had a hard time, like catching deep breaths and stuff. So finally, my therapist was, had worked with me that, at that point for a couple of years. And she was like, I think you need something. And so she picked Celexa for me. There's a ton of different anxiety medications. Celexa is actually a depression medication, but it for the right person can work for anxiety and it's an SSRI and which is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor so um, that particular mechanism worked for my brain and within 3 weeks I felt like a new person.
0: Were you how did you feel about going on it because by that point you'd gone to Natural Gourmet yeah. Institute you were like deep in sort of the the wellness world yeah. which has a lot of judgment often about those types of things.
1: Oh my gosh it was terrifying and actually I had just done an article with Shape Magazine talking about my anxiety journey. And I hadn't started Slexa at the time, um, but I was telling them kind of what I've told you, which is how it had gotten a lot better through like eating well and stuff. But I wasn't completely honest with them about the fact that I was still struggling with it. And then the article came out and I remember just feeling so guilty that the article didn't include that. So I, I originally had planned on like not telling people that I was on Slexa. But I ended up because of the article, I didn't want people to think that I had like fixed it completely. So I actually then went on my, so, like all my media outlets and whatever they were at the time and just told people, I was like, I'm just going to be really honest. Like that doesn't tell the whole story. I'm, I've also just, you know, pretty recently started this anxiety medication and it's been an amazing thing for me. And I don't think they have to be mutually exclu- exclusive. And I don't believe that at all. I think even on a even on a medication, taking care of yourself will help mitigate symptoms for sure. And there's no question as I've weaned off of it, taking care of myself has made the weaning process significantly easier.
0: Were you nervous to go off of
1: it? Yeah, I was terrified. I was terrified. Um, I had no idea if my body would just like, I was mostly terrified I would have insomnia again. Now I will say I take melatonin, like I do some, like I have my little sleep routine, but like nothing. I mean, when I was having really bad uh, anxiety, like, but mostly insomnia, I had an Ambien prescription, a Xanax prescription. Oh yeah. I mean, I was a hot mess. Like And that
0: didn't knock you out?
1: I would hallucinate on Ambien. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I, my insomnia was like on a whole other level. I mean, and you didn't have it as a kid. It just was like, No, I mean, I was, I was, I think I was always a hot, like I was always the last kid to fall asleep at sleepovers. I remember that vividly. I remember like being like the sounds and all that stuff was hard for me. And I remember watching my friends like sleeping peacefully and it took me longer, but for the most part, I still ended up, I was still like pretty normal, could eventually fall asleep, whatever. But I think I always had those tendencies in me and then being in this situation where probably the juxtaposition of like eating the right things and having this like growing career and stuff but knowing that i was also like really not in the right place for me i think that juxtaposition is probably what caused the majority of the insomnia i mean i really do think the insomnia was like a screaming red flag like you're not you're not comfortable you don't feel safe you know i just i didn't feel safe i didn't feel like i had a place to rest i didn't feel yeah like just com- like like settled at all you know and, but your sleep has been pretty much good oh, since yeah. you've gone, oh, yeah,, yeah, I mean, I the last year, like, and again, this is not this does not take away from anyone who's been in my life, like I want to make that very clear, you know i got i I got divorced a year ago, and this is me and my journey. What I've realized in the last year is like I'm a much more independent solo person than I realized, and so it it's been become very clear to me that. Creating a life for myself, living by myself, growing, focusing primarily on on growing a business, which you can do when you have a boyfriend. You it's it's very hard to do. As you know, it's harder to do when you're in a marriage. There's more, there's a lot more compromise in marriage than there is you can be a lot more selfish when you're just dating somebody. Um, and so in the last year, I've been happier than I've ever been. And I feel very much like I did when I first moved home and um felt you know, very sort of confident in my, this like solo kind of journey that I'm on. And so I've had no problems. I mean, that's not true when I, I still have trouble. um, Like if I'm traveling or something like that, that's still really hard for me. I mean, I have some bad nights, you know, but I think everybody does, but for the most part, no. Do you have, like, I, I had one bad, bout
0: of it, not nearly as bad as you, but I had one bad, bout of insomnia and it sort of freaked me out because I, it didn't occur to me. I couldn't sleep before then you Mm -hmm. know it like triggered something where I was like oh my god this can happen and for me it was three days where I just didn't sleep at all for the three nights um and it changed traveling for me completely because now I'm that person who in hotels I'm like is can I have the quiet room and airbnbs I'm like scrolling through Mm -hmm. the reviews looking for for the quiet room like does it Do you feel like knowing that you can sometimes not sleep that well does that limit your life is there stuff that you do to make sure
1: that you can sleep no matter where you go and what you do that's such a good question the answer is it for a while i did let it limit my life um but what was interesting that happened was because i had some really bad travel and sleep experiences i mean i've had i've had travel experiences where i i didn't sleep for 72 hours but Which here's the interesting thing. It's, it's the worst thing like, in the world.
0: You well, especially when you're traveling because you're like, I spent all this money to like. Oh go yeah. Have a and this was time. abroad. This
1: was for weddings. I mean, things that should have been the best times of yeah. my life. And but here is the interesting thing is what I realized looking back on those trips, I still as horrible as it was, I still wouldn't change that experience for anything. Like I still would go through that again to be at that person's wedding and to see that country even though I was delirious. And I never let it actually stop me while I was there. Um, I would just be delirious and like do it anyway. And since I started that mindset, honestly, at this point, like I just stay, I just say yes to stuff. And, um, and I try to protect myself with, with exactly what you said, which is I try to, you know, have, I need to have my own room. Um, I need to be in a quiet place. I need to, um, like wind down a little bit and certain things like that. And I have to, you know, I do like, I keep my melatonin around and, um, What else? I do CBD, which is really helpful. So I have all those things, and then sometimes it's still it's a bad night. But I would rather I'm so much happier living my life and being tired sometimes than feeling like I don't have control over it. You know.
0: So is that sort of the mental dialogue when you're having a bad night?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, yeah. What do you do when you're in the middle of? of a a really bad night. Yeah. Well, I will say part of the choice I've made for my life. And it's one of the reasons I like living by myself is I don't take, I don't do like early morning stuff and late night stuff is really hard for me too. Like I really, for the most part, try to protect those times because it's psychological for me. So like, even if I get home at like, like if Steven and I go out and we get home at 10 o'clock I'm probably not sleeping till two in the morning only because I've missed my particular window. So what I do is I go into certain experiences with a very like laissez-faire. So part of it is I protect myself by creating the schedule that works best for me. Part of it is I honestly just like go into it with the attitude that like it, it just really is what it is. And I'm, I can still have like a good next day. And I always, one of my favorite podcasts is this woman, Elizabeth Benton, It's called Primal Potential. And one of her, I love her like isms and her sayings. And one of them is like, um, she says every choice is a chance, which I really like, but she also says, make the next five minutes great. And that's like a motto for me when I'm deliriously tired from like a really bad insomnia night. Is I'm like, what can I do in the next five minutes to take care of myself? And so part of that is when you're tired, you want to eat badly and you wanna lay down in bed all day, but I don't let myself do that unless I physically like can't get out of bed, which very rarely happens. Like I force myself to go through for a walk and it might be a shorter walk and I force myself to test a recipe and it's probably one that I'm going to have to like test again. But like and I force myself to like try to make pretty good food choices because that's not the time for me to be indulging because it really is going to make it worse. You know, that's interesting.
0: You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I want to take a brief break from this episode to talk about a special partnership I'm doing with a company I'm obsessed with, Natural Cycles. If you didn't hear on my earlier episodes, I'm sharing a mini diary entry on each podcast about using the app as a non-hormonal way to prevent pregnancy. It has an efficacy of 93% with typical use and it's 98% effective with perfect use. You essentially take your temperature with a basal thermometer, and then the app tells you whether you're on a red day, which means you should avoid sex or use protection to prevent pregnancy, or on a green day when you're good to go. I asked on Instagram for questions that you had about using natural cycles, so I'm going to answer a few of them today. The first one was how soon after going off birth control you can use natural cycles. The answer for most hormonal methods is right away. I had my Mirena IUD taken out in December, and then I started using natural cycles the very next day, and they say for most forms of birth control, which includes the ring, the patch, the pill, and the IUD, you can start the day after stopping or having them removed. You'll have more red days at first when you need to use protection because your ovulation might be irregular and natural cycles is still learning your cycle, but honestly, I'm okay with the red days. I'd rather be safe than sorry, and we just use condoms on those days, and it's completely fine. I was also really surprised by how many green days I started out with, even after just going off Mirena. I had maybe 10 during the month, which was pretty decent, and then the number has just gone up as I've used it more. Someone else asked if you need a special device to take your temperature, and the answer is yes. When you sign up, you'll download the app, and they'll send you a basal thermometer, which takes your temperature one decimal more than a typical thermometer. It comes in the mail super fast, and it looks just like a normal thermometer, so it's small and easy to travel with. I leave mine on my bedside table so I can reach for it first thing when I wake up. Someone else asked if you can use natural cycles with irregular periods, and the answer is yes. I actually haven't had the most regular periods since going off my IUD. Before that, I was on the pill, so I've been on some form of hormonal contraception for more than 15 years. But Natural Cycles isn't just tracking your cycle to make predictions, it's using your temperature and a complex series of algorithms that are running in the background. So yes, it's totally fine to use if you have irregular cycles, but again, you might get more of those red days that you'll want to use protection on. I'm really, really loving Natural Cycles so far, and I'm really passionate about spreading the word about it to everyone I can, since it's such an amazing non-hormonal birth control option. I'll be answering more of your questions on my next mini diary entry. You asked so many good ones. I could not get to them all. So if you have anything you'd like to know, hit me up on Instagram at Liz Moody and definitely check out naturalcycles.com. There's a ton of great information on there. And of course, you can sign up and get a thermometer so you can try it out for yourself. Now, let's get back to the episode. Going back to your divorce briefly. Was it hard for you to sort of self-identify as a divorced person, especially in a place you live in the South? There's this this notion of what a family should be, I think a lot stronger here than there maybe are still in other parts of the country. How, yeah. How did that go with your concept of your self-identity and what you thought your life would be?
1: Um, you know, it's interesting. I actually really didn't care. Um, I still really don't. And I think part of that is because I I certainly care what people think about me in the sense of like my basic integrity. Like I want people to think I'm a good person, but it doesn't bother me whatever people might make up about what it means to have been divorced. I mean, at this point, half of adults have been divorced, you know, and, um, I know so many people who have, and I think, yeah, I don't know. For some reason, for me, that never felt, that never made me feel like I was wearing a scarlet letter. I felt like. In part, maybe in part, that's because I've been able to create a career separately that was like my own. And so my sense of myself didn't change dramatically. I never saw myself as a married per Like that wasn't my identity as someone who's married. So when I was divorced, that wasn't my identity either. We had a really easy divorce, a really amicable divorce, amicable divorce. I think that made it easier. Part of it too was nobody acted like they cared. I mean, I just didn't have... I would say out of hundreds of messages I got in relation to my divorce, maybe three of them were negative. Maybe it didn't change my relationship with my friends. The people that were mutual friends of ours that I still cared about are still friends of mine. And so, yeah, for me, like I totally have my, my own insecurities in my life, but what people think about me other than just like my basic sort of like, like I said, like my my integrity, my honesty, that kind of thing. Like I don't really care what people think about about that.
0: And you kept his last name. No, uh, I didn't. No, so you...
1: Yeah, were- I went back to my maiden name. My maiden name is Bryant. And so that's what I legally changed it back to. Oh, uh, okay. So your next book will be Laura Yeah, my last book... Well, <laughs> my next book, I'm not sure. I'm working with my publishers because, um, you know, I don't know if I'll get married again someday and I don't know if I'd change my name if I did, but I... Also, like, don't want all my cookbooks to have a different last name. Right. So, you know, when I do work stuff, usually they just say Laura Lee. So I'm thinking about just putting Laura Lee on my next book. Oh, that's um, cool. You're,
0: like, going into, like, Madonna territory. I mean, right? I, if, I, if
1: I didn't have a double name, I totally wouldn't because I don't, like, like I definitely don't think I am, like… Laura. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, like, I wouldn't. But so many people think Lee is my last name anyway. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so I think because of the double name thing, I may just be able to get away with that. Um, and yeah, and just have it be bi I don't know. That's cool. But if I don't, then I would just do Bryant. And then if I did Bryant, I would just do Bryant on future books, even if I, or publications or as my work name, even if I did for some reason change my name again.
0: Yeah. So you do have, uh, speaking of the cookbook and all of that, you have like, you've made a lot of sort of a traditional life choices in mm-hmm. general. And you said that your parents sort of did that as well. Were you like that growing up? Were you always sort of like? different than everybody else, or kind of like flying your own flag? Were you like a cool kid in high school? What was your situation?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I definitely have always marched to the beat of my own drum in the sense that uh yeah, I think I've always had and I I would bet you're the same way. I think most people who love to write like I've always had a very rich inner life, you know. And all that means that doesn't mean like I'm dumb or smart or anything like that. It just means like I've always had a world that I created that was like very much my own that was totally separate from anybody else. And so I was always fine being by myself, playing by myself, reading by myself, and I think the result of that was that I think I was always comfortable, like kind of doing things my own way because I felt like I had all this support because it was just in my own head, you know, like I felt normal. And I've and I've always had a lot of friends like, yeah, I would say I I would say I was popular in the sense that like I was friends with everybody, like the cool kids, like the nerds, like I have never I've always been friends with like pretty much everybody. I can usually find something to relate to with everybody I meet and like really appreciate something about them. But I would say that I didn't start doing things that were very much like tra- untraditional, non-traditional. So I would say it was always like weird and kind of quirky and independent in that sense. But it really wasn't until I, I deviated in New York to the natural gourmet and then all of this ensued, you know, and it's only very much been in the last, ye- in the last year, in the last 12 months that I've realized like just how untraditional I am. That's so, traditional.
0: And it's it's interesting because you do feel you give off the vibe of somebody who very much is like has come into themselves as a woman and as a person. Really? Yeah, you really do. And that's it's cool. I think that's, that's like cool. something that people say happens in your 30s as a woman. Yeah. And I just think
1: you exude it. And it's really cool. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I don't I love getting older. Yeah. Like, you know, there are downsides to it, of course. But to me, the the pro of feeling good in my own skin and just like giving less and less Fs about what people think, like that is so much more, that is so worth like, you know, the laugh lines and like all of that. And can I, I'm curious
0: though, you're, for lack of a better way of saying it, you're like an objectively pretty person. Like you are beautiful. You've probably been told that you're pretty your whole life. Does that impact your view of aging at all? Because it's one of like, It's one of the things you hear is like, oh, if you rely on your looks a lot, that like that's going to be that's going to go. Yeah, And I know you're not relying on them because obviously you have one a great personality. You're smart. You've built this whole life. But as somebody who's objectively like a very pretty person, how does that impact your view of
1: aging? Um, Well, first of all, thank you. Um, (laughs) I, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, my mom is awesome and she from very early on, In a very loving, kind way, made it very clear to me that looks don't last, and that, and I was always, I was never praised for my looks growing up. Like my mom, like not in a negative way. Like my, you know, they might say like, oh, that like tutu looks pretty on you, but my looks were never a focus. So I don't, I didn't really grow up feeling like particularly attractive. Um, In high school, as I started to get, you know, when I got into high school and like boys and stuff like that, I felt like maybe I got more attention but um that was like deeply ingrained in me that like that's not a thing that can first of all it's not gonna make you happy and two it's not gonna last so like that can't be what you you know That can't be what you ride the, you know, the coattails of. It's just interesting
0: because I think society tells us in so many subtle ways that if you're just a little bit more beautiful, your life would like get so much better. Gosh, no,
1: I can tell you like, and I mean, there, and I have friends who, you know, are like legit supermodels and that's not how it goes. It just doesn't, you know, it may make certain things, it may make certain things feel easier. Um, but it doesn't make them better or happier for sure. There's no question about it. And um, yeah, I mean, just like being, you know, like a white woman in society, like has its privileges, like so does being an attractive person, but it doesn't, it doesn't correlate to like a deep sense of contentment or happiness. And I've always known that. And I think that was, and because of the way my parents raised me, um And so I don't have, like, a fear. I mean, certainly I don't, like, want to, like, have some major disfigurement or something. <laughs> like, nobody does. But I don't have, a like, a fear of, you know, aging and, like, wrinkles and getting gray hair and not being, like, a babe um, because I've had my darkest times looking the same, you know, times when I was, like, so deeply miserable. I mean, I don't talk about this a lot, and I don't take this word lightly. But when my insomnia was, like, really bad, it's kind of like what you were saying when you were, like, whoa, you realize that that's a thing that can happen, that, like, I can be a human being and not sleep. I mean, when it was really bad, like, I had definitely had some suicidal thoughts um, because I had spent so much money. I tried so many different things, and none of it worked. And so I remember thinking... I just don't think I'm like doing this human thing right because like along with like eating and breathing like sleeping is supposed to be something I can do and I'm not capable of sleeping apparently so like I just don't feel like I fit in here you know Um, and that had nothing to do with anything and people on the outside probably had no I mean they didn't know I've never I haven't really talked about that so yeah I mean it's, it's interesting I think and also like who doesn't agree when you look at like older women? I don't know who thinks someone who's like plastered in like fake cheekbones and like who thinks that looks more beautiful than well, someone I'm also who's like curious
0: aged. like who they think they're fooling right? It's like, like you, you don't- look
1: like an old person with plastic surgery. Yeah, like you don't no look one thinks younger. you look young. Yeah. yeah, and then you look at someone like Meryl Streep or um, Diane Keaton and like, they're stunning, you know, and very like sexy still in their own way. And they just look like themselves, just like older versions. And my mom, I think is really beautiful and has aged really beautifully. And I think that can be like such a cool time. I mean, I just, that's definitely something I worry about for younger women on social media right now. I mean, I cannot imagine how old are you again? 32. Yeah. I'm 33. I cannot imagine us having grown up with that. Like I would, how how do any of them have confidence? Well, I also think it starts so young. So
0: when you're a parent and you're putting your kid on social media, whether you're like an influencer or just like a literal normal person, you're doing it for the grandparents, you're, I, and I don't judge it at all. Like I will probably do the same when, when, and if I have children, but I do think there's a subtle thing that's happening where you're teaching a child to perform for the camera mm-hmm. constantly. And you're, And the, the amount that you're teaching them to do that is so much more than we were taught to do that. So I think you're taught to like, I don't know, almost like put it on in a different way from a very young age. And I, that makes me nervous. And then also there's been really interesting studies that show that, uh, when you see yourself through like filters and stuff on social media, you actually start to be disappointed with your reflection in the mirror, which is terrifying. I mean, and some is- cameras like on phones do the same thing. Like, um, I think there's a Samsung phone that like, like the camera you automatically it's set to, and you can go no. in the settings and take it off, but it's automatically set to like a pretty filter where it evens your skin tone. And it does all of that. And it's just like, that's not, we're, we're not only creating an artificial standard of what people look like with like Photoshopping and celebrity
1: and all that, but like internally Dang. we're creating an artificial standard of what we look like. So I didn't know that about certain cameras. And I also have never thought about the perspective, what you said about kids like performing, but that's such a good point. I never thought about the fact that that is happening. I mean, I, I like love YouTube. So I watch, I probably watch more YouTube than like anything else. I love it. It's like my guilty pleasure. I love it. I feel like I'm the only 32 year old, like watching. Oh, I'm obsessed. (laughs) I'm obsessed with it. No, I'm like obsessed with YouTube. And so there are a lot of people who've built their careers and their children through YouTube. And I'm like, what are these kids going to think when they're older? Like, They didn't have a say in any of this. But they're also being told to perform. I mean, there are people who like feed lines to their children about what to say for these videos. And there's no, unfortunately, we don't have a way at this point to tell what that's going to do. We haven't seen it yet. They haven't grown up. But um, I can't imagine it's healthy. I mean, there's so little human interaction. No kids play outside you know, so there's like no room for imagination. Everything is created for themselves. And yeah, I, am sure that if you're, especially like, I mean, I know people who've built their whole Instagram following on filters that make them look like 10 times tanner than they are in real life. Like they don't even look like the same person in real life. And yeah, I just, kids don't do that to your, just don't, don't do that to yourselves. So what do you, what's your relationship with social media and how do you manage that? So it's interesting. I did stories a lot more when I was married and I haven't felt as called to do them. Partly that's because I've been writing the book and I just haven't had the emotional bandwidth, but I haven't found that need to like constantly be connecting through my stories. Why Um, do you think that is? I don't really know. I think other than I do think I felt like a little isolated. I think I felt lonelier on sort of like a metal level, you know, and I don't feel that loneliness now. Um, So I like to connect, but I don't feel like I need to as much. So it's just not as like top of mind. Um, I think, yeah. And so, but I'm not totally sure. I I do think some of that could just be contextual to writing the book because that has been the majority of the last year. But I love social media, I think it has been great for my business. I really do love, it's a great way for, especially someone like me, who is like a little more introverted and on the spectrum. And like, it's a great way to communicate without feeling like depleted, although it can be depleting for sure. On the spectrum of introversion. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, Yeah, sorry. The, just <laughs> to be clear. clear. Edit that. On the spectrum of extroversion to introversion, yeah. I think- For me, being more of an introvert can be really helpful for the way I communicate with people. But I also think it's utterly terrifying. I definitely panicked a bit when Instagram shut down (laughs) a few months ago. Uh, I think it's just really important to diversify as an entrepreneur. And that's something that's why I wanted to write. That's one of the main reasons I wanted to write a book. Now, I'd always wanted to write a book because I love to write and I really wanted to write a cookbook, but I also truly believed and believe that in order to maintain a sense of your competence and your ability to continue to have a business and grow a business, you need to be diversifying and you need to have platforms in multiple places and you need something tangible and concrete, like a book, you know, that no one can take that away from you. Even if you decided you wanted to write a book and you couldn't find a publisher, no one can take away from you, your ability to self-publish unless the whole publishing industry goes down. But you know, and that's why, I mean, I did YouTube before. I'm going to start getting into that once I turn this book in. I love having YouTube. Um, and I will probably spend more. I mean, I don't know if this is like the. I don't know if it was like this for you because you were also working. But I just don't have a lot of time for my Instagram right now when I'm writing the book. I just I just don't because if I have a great picture, it's going in my book. And if I have a great recipe, it's going. In my but book. then what do
0: you do? Because like I, I when I was writing my book. One, I didn't have a lot of time for Instagram because I was working full time. But also, I was like, "Shit, I need to be building an audience so when my book comes out, yeah. the audience
1: is there and wants to buy it." I know. I think I think what I'm relying on is the fact that there there will be about six months between when I turn the book in and when the book officially and comes then you'll yeah. And I'm gonna really put the pedal to the metal when I turn my book in in terms of like really paying a lot of attention to Instagram putting up more consistent blog posts and good recipe content and stuff like that. Do you, do you, in your mind, is
0: that like, how did you grow your blog? How did you grow your Instagram? Was it just like consistent good content Were there are sort of like
1: breakthroughs that helped you grow those? I mean, honestly, other than the occasional like person of influence, like sharing about what I'm doing, which like has happened, but I would not say like, I would not say that was, I wouldn't say there was some major catalyst in that way. I think it's exactly what we said. I think it's just, I think consistently good quality content that clearly has a voice is the best way to grow anything, you know? And I mean, consistency is, I think it's the key pretty much to everything. Um, I think it's the key to health. I think it's the key to good habits because it, it consistency doesn't mean you don't take breaks and indulge and stuff like that, but it means you don't, it, it's, I think consistency is the opposite of the on the wagon, off the wagon mentality, because that's the mentality that makes people stop and then start six weeks later or start six months later. But if you're consistent, it means, okay, that wasn't exactly how I wanted that to go, but I get up and do it anyway. And then, you know, and so which ties back in with your whole
0: insomnia thing as well, because it's just like, oh, even if it's not going to be a perfect day, I'm just going to go have my day and do my day and not, not be off. My entire day and maybe where it. I learned it
1: from, honestly, because I would say those habits like kind of formulated at the same time, which was um, with the exception of when I'm writing a book, you know, I put up very consistent blog content and um, I post pretty consistently on Instagram unless I have no I mean, I don't like force it. If there's, I mean, you know, sometimes you're just like, I got nothing for you, you know, Um but for the most part, yeah, I would say that's how I grew it. And again, I have to give, like, major kudos to Nashville. This is a super supportive city. Like, people want to see people succeed, you know? there. It's not like New York where I think there is still a bit of the mentality of, like, there's X pieces of the pie. And when it's gone, it's gone, you know? here, like, Which is so not true. Like,
0: I feel like the... I don't, I mean, I don't even think like there's not a one-to-one correlation, but there's been no time in my career that I've helped another person, particularly another woman. And I haven't, and I felt like it's negatively affected me in any way. And often it'll positively affect me either immediately or down the road, like very often.
1: For sure. I mean, most of the time I agree, like just a natural support and like showing up for other women in your industry, like On so many levels, I think is mutually beneficial, and it's just and it's pleasurable, and so it's it's just a win. It feels good. It's a win win, and there's eight billion people in the world. I mean, what the actual heck? If you think about it, eight billion people, we're still in this like teeny tiny wellness community. Yeah, like you know, it's still super small. It feels big to us because when we open our Instagram, that's like our whole explorer page is the same like twenty you know Instagrammers or whatever. But the reality is there are people, there's always going to be people who are going to resonate with your voice over mine and resonate with Mikkel's vibe over mine. But also you know? there's, those people
0: can follow me, you, and Mikkel. Yes, they can. And they can take what they like from, from yeah. all of it, you know? It doesn't That's, have to be Especially on Instagram, I'm just like, anytime I'm shouting out somebody else, it's not like somebody's being like. Oh, I shall stop following Liz and go follow this Yeah, no, it's so like, true. It's not, you can't, right? I mean, you can follow thousands of people. Even buying of, a cookbook, like, thousands you can of people. buy multiple cookbooks. 100%. And it's totally fine. Yeah, I think it's interesting.
1: Okay, so what other, like, wellnessy stuff do you do? You mentioned CBD. Do you have a brand you like? Um, so, yeah, so they're launching now, but Ancient Nutrition is um, based out of Nashville, and I love their stuff. They are launching a CBD line, and they have cinnamon infused CBD. It's honestly like problematically delicious because I'm like, no, Laurie, is it just- a tincture? It's a, yeah, it's a dropper, and I just do two full droppers. It's really great quality. Um, And then there's also another local company here called Yuyo Botanics, Y-U-Y-O, and they do really good quality CBD. So I love them. Um, Do you
0: know about how many milligrams you do?
1: I do. Yes. Let's see. The one at night, I want to say is 200 milligrams. Oh,
0: that's a like half. dose. Pretty hefty. Yeah. It's
1: like two dropper fulls. I think that's right. And I think the one, they have an AM formula, which I think is like 90 milligrams or something. Um, and you yeah. do that every day? Um, not not every night. Mostly just if I'm traveling or something like that, okay. I'll bring that with me. Um, now for the most part, once I take my melatonin, um, and I get in bed and I like am in my environment, I don't need something necessarily. Um, but I will take that on nights where I'm like starting to feel a little bit anxious or restless. And you certainly don't need to take that much. It's just high, high um, yeah. Highly sensitive person here, yeah. Um. And then I, you know, yeah, I walk every day. Um, I love to like hike, which in Nashville is usually more just like long scenic walks. <laughs> um, we don't have a lot of like hiking we do, but not close. Um, I'm really good about a like ch- very chill morning, which for me is like super important for my mental health. I, so I make this like thing, I call it my like morning elixir. I make it every night and I drink it first thing in the morning. It's 32 ounces of filtered water, the juice from a lemon, a scoop of collagen and um, some apple cider vinegar
0: and you make it at night
1: Mm -hmm. just so it's ready one because it's ready and I don't have to think about it but also the collagen dissolves like much better like I find that if I even let it sit for 10 minutes it's still like clumpy but by the morning it's completely dissolved so I do that and I drink the whole thing every morning um and then I do drink coffee but I um my coffee has like like some fun stuff in it you know some fun little jazzed up stuff. And then honestly, I will, I will say when I'm writing my book, I, I would say my meals are more like snacking during the day. I eat a nice healthy dinner. Most nights, it's usually just leftovers of what I'm testing. And I like to make sure there's like... So when I test, I, I try to make sure that I'm testing like something that can be kind of a side dish or a salad or something and an entree. I try to do that so that I can get some kind of vegetables in. But for the most part during the day, often it'll just be like... Siete Foods crackers with hummus and like maybe an apple and then maybe like a go macro bar. Like it's not the best when I'm, when I'm doing that. But.
0: And then meditation?
1: Um, you know, I would say walking is my meditation. I mean, I've done like pretty, I've been pretty consistent about meditation before, like in a very traditional way. I, I didn't get a lot from it. That could be that I'm just doing it wrong, but. um, They say
0: you can't do it wrong. They say if you're sitting and you're. Trying to focus on something like you can't do it wrong. Yeah, I guess that's
1: fair. I just didn't, I didn't really notice like I didn't even, yeah, I really and- didn't. And I did it consistently, but I, I do for a portion of my walks, I turn off my podcast I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just like walking in silence. And that has felt very meditative for me. Um, I mean, def- my cat is definitely, I mean, she will cat like, so- she will decrease my heart rate like noticeably. Sam, I like very bury my nose in my cat and yeah. I take like a big uh, inhale. Yeah. like pheromones or oh something. Oh my God. Like shove my face in her little booty yeah. belly. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's the best thing ever. And that's, I mean, that's very real. And there's a lot of science behind that. Um, i try to be pretty consistent with my bedtimes and my wake up times. Uh, I think that's really important. Just, sort of like the circadian rhythm. Yeah. I think that's really helpful for everybody, but especially somebody that suffers from any kind of insomnia. Yeah. And then I would say like on a day to day basis, again, like right now I'm snacking more than I'd like to, but I'm still pretty conscious to make sure I'm getting a good amount of like healthy fat in. So even if I'm having a bar, I'll like slather with almond butter or something, Uh, because why do you think, yeah, healthy fat, it helps me with my sleep. It helps me. I know it helps me with like my mental clarity and brain function. It majorly helps me with, um, like create like sugar cravings or like carb cravings. I think it helps me with my hormones, keeping my hormones balanced. Um, didn't you
0: have hormonal issues? They feel like you did. Yeah, I did
1: for a while and then got those like very much under control. I didn't have a period for like four years and then, yeah. And actually going on Celexa within a month of being on Celexa. I got my period back.
0: So you think? Do you think it was stress that you didn't have your period I think, before? Yeah, ever? I
1: mean, I think my stress, like my cortisol and adrenaline, and were so jacked up from years of anxiety, and then I also like wasn't in the happiest place, and I think that was. Was really suppressing. I think my hormones were just so. Out were of whack. you on
0: birth control at one point, and then did you? Yeah, like I was on off? birth
1: control for like ten years, and then you went and off. like had my orthorexia while I was on the ring So like I overlapped my orthorexia with um birth control. Yeah, but then I went off of it like as soon as I moved home six years ago. But it took me like two and a half years to get a period. Wow. Yeah. And, that, so. and it's been, but it's been fine and consistent. I mean, I've only been off Selexa now for a month, but I mean, I had it recently and it was fine and normal. What?
0: Yeah. And did you, you didn't do any other sort of like hormone balancing? So the best
1: thing I did was I think the Selexa was a huge part of it. I would say the one thing supplementally, well, I think I do think healthy fats for sure to keep it consistent. Yeah. My friend Susie, has a company called Binto that does these curated um, supplement packets for women's hormones. And I've been taking those, and I do think those helped as well. Do you
0: know what's in them? Um,
1: yes. Actually, let me see if I can grab them. Let's okay. See. Oh, this is really cute. Yeah, it's really cute. And they just come to your house every month. Not, so it's not like- the Binto
0: people. The package comes <laughs> to your house every month. But it's like roughly sort of like an omega-3. It's an
1: omega-3, a probiotic, a um, wait, uh, DHA, I guess is the... Omega three. What is the other one? One of them is like a like a vitamin it's, that's particularly good for women's health, and then one of them I believe is an adaptogen. Oh, that's cool. yeah, it's really cool. And then they have a couple of different options. Do but- you do other supplements or no? Nah? Yeah, I do, but honestly, I haven't. I haven't been like. I'm more like playing around with them. I haven't figured out like an exact supplement routine. So like right now, I'm taking some magnesium because I found um, that it's like really really helpful for me in a lot of different ways. That's my sleep thing. So if I can't sleep yeah. or if I'm having like
0: an anxiety attack of any sort, I'll like I call it overdosing on magnesium, but I'll take twice the recommended dosage and yeah. it works for me like a Xanax does. Yeah, exactly.
1: So I take magnesium citrate. I don't know if that's the one you have. Yeah. Your encapsulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I take magnesium right now. I am taking ashwagandha, which has been really helpful for me. Um I started taking an ashwagandha supplement and an ashwagandha – I forgot. So I do the melatonin and then um, this, the company Gaia has something called Sleep Through and it's basically primarily ashwagandha and a few other like sleep herbs. So I'm doing that to basically help as I wean off of the Celexa for – that's really good for like natural relaxation. What else am I doing? Oh, and then I do a um, multivitamin and a probiotic from Ancient Nutrition.
0: And you haven't felt any different going off the of Celexa. Like you – I
1: really haven't. It's super weird. So the one side effect I noticed was in the first, no, it was probably from 20 milligrams to 10 milligrams. I had a really, I was really nauseous for like two weeks and had no appetite. Um, I assume it has to do with that because that was the only change and then it went away and was fine. But yeah, that was like really weird. But no, I didn't have, I mean, I've had like maybe one or two bad nights or something, but like not in particular. I feel great. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast.
0: I want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about one of my favorite grain-free food brands, Simple Mills. I first discovered Simple Mills years ago when I fell in love with their baking mixes. The pizza crust is a must-have pantry item for quick, healthy dinners. But more recently, they've been absolutely killing it with their ready-made items. I'm obsessed with their grain-free crackers, which I've been serving at all of my book tour stops around the country. They have two types, an almond flour one that's a bit smaller and a sprouted seed one that's sized for like a small cracker sandwich. The almond flour ones are my go-tos for snacking plain from the box. The smoky barbecue cheddar is basically like the best cheesy cracker you've ever had except healthy and the rosemary sea salt is really elegant feeling and it's like perfect for dipping in some tomato soup. They all have Simple Mill's signature short ingredient list, and because they're nut and seed-based, they actually contain a fair bit of protein and dietary fiber to elongate that blood sugar curve and prevent a hanger crash later on. The sprouted seed crackers are also heavenly. I use these to make a grown-up lunchable situation with like some pastured rotisserie chicken and pastured cheese. Because the seeds are sprouted, they're way more bioavailable, making the crackers a good source of omega-3s, manganese, and other ingredients. Yes, you can get omega-3s from a cracker, and I am here for it. I also love pulsing these to use as a breadcrumb alternative to sprinkle on pasta dishes or to use in meatballs. All of the flavors work really, really well, but the garlic and herb is particularly delightful. Finally, I need to mention the crunchy cookies. The chocolate chip ones taste just like a healthy, yummier version of famous Amos cookies, which were my absolute favorite when I was a kid. We've also been serving these at my book tour events, and honestly, it's really hard for me to force myself to put them out for attendees because I love them that much. Literally, everything I mentioned is grain-free, gluten-free, non-GMO, and free of gums and emulsifiers. I really trust Simple Mills to not cut corners or put anything weird in any of their products. They test and test and test until they can release something that's really high quality and also tastes really good. You can find Simple Mills retailers nationwide or on their website at www.simplemills.com where you can get 20% off with the code HEALTHIERTOGETHER20. Again, that's a whopping 20% off with the code HEALTHIERTOGETHER, like the name of this podcast, and then twenty two zero, just the numbers. Don't write them out. And it's all smushed together. It's one word, no cap. So HEALTHIERTOGETHER20 at SimpleMills.com. And if you need product recommendations, don't hesitate to ask me for them on Instagram. I'm at Liz Moody. I cannot wait to hear what you guys think about all these products. I've been obsessed with Simple Mills for years, and I can't wait for you guys to try them. Now, let's get back to the episode. And is there I, we've talked about it a little bit but like I just is there something you do when you have the bad night if you ha- I know you have a good day but like to keep from the next night when you lay down from spiraling
1: into being like oh I had a bad night last night it'll be a bad night this <sighs> night I wish I mean I wish I did I mean the truth is for me it's just from having had so many bad nights I just have a really good perspective on it and so most of the time when I have a really bad night the next night I don't, I just don't expect it to be good. I just go into it being like, you know what? I had this like big cozy bed. I make sure I don't have anything in the morning like before 10 Um, and I, I just go into it and basically tell myself like whatever happens, happens and it's okay. And honestly, now for the most part, it, it's fine. It, it ends up being fine the second night when I'm that tired. No, I do keep Unisom in my like back pocket or whatever. It's like, what's my, Unisom? It's like a, it's like a pharmacy sleep aid. Um, I don't know what the active ingredient is. Um, I will take that. Um, what is it called? It's like some, it begins with a D. I have that and the, Kirkland is like the Costco brand or whatever. That's their Unisom. So that is like my go-to if I'm having a really bad, like a really bad night. And I like feel like I want to take something, but it will like, at least for me, it will like make you, it will knock you out. Now it wouldn't have two and a half years ago. I would have just taken that in Ambient and would have seen like purple spots. Um, but now I will take that either like Unisom or the Kirkland brand of it, which is called Sleep Right but I don't love to do that because it does make me pretty groggy the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point I would rather have like a bad night of sleep than like take that. Yeah. But sometimes if I'm like really like after a wedding weekend or something where you're so exhausted and I'm like, I have a really big week coming up, like I'll take it then.
0: Also, I think it's nice to have, like I, I take Klonopin when I fly sometimes and I don't take it all the time, but I will not fly without knowing that I have it. Yeah. And I think it feels good to just know you have that tool in your toolkit if you need it. I
1: think that's great. I mean, I did that. I had a leftover thing of Xanax from when it was like really bad. And I, but then I stopped taking it. So, but I had some leftover. I used that for a while, like on rare occasions, if I were traveling or something, I'd take one of my Xanax. Now I don't have it anymore. Um, Are you an anxious flyer? No, it was for oh, sleeping sleep. Yeah, it was okay. when I was going on long flights. No, I actually sleep really well on flights for the most part. But, I hate you. But yeah, it's weird. But I don't... I mean, but I'm not a great sleeper. But yeah, I'm like out like that. And my narcoleptic boyfriend, who's amazing, you're more way more than narcoleptic. Um, is he diagnosed narcoleptic? narcoleptic? No, I'm saying <laughs> that. He's not. I'm just checking. And again, <laughs> I'm sorry if that's offensive to anyone who actually is narcoleptic. Yeah. I, yeah. I
0: think Jimmy Kimmel
1: is narcoleptic. I don't actually know. He just... He can just he, fall well, asleep he, like he that. he can, but he also falls asleep, like, he can fall asleep, like, sitting up. He can fall asleep, yeah. like, at a movie, you know, like... My husband is like yeah, that. Yeah, like, you can't put him in a movie theater, like, chair, because, like, he's out, you know? <laughs> For him, going to the movies is a waste of money. But anyway, yeah, I hope that's not offensive. That's not at all what I mean. I'm just messing, yeah, I'm yeah, messing yeah, around yeah. with the concept of how quickly he falls asleep. Um, but... Yeah. So, but he can't sleep on planes, but I can, I have no idea why. Um, but when we're traveling like abroad, it's more just, I know I need to sleep. So then I'll get a little anxious. And so then I'll just take something for that, but I don't have it anymore. And I honestly don't feel like dealing with going to a doctor to get a prescription for that. For sure. So, um, and we don't have any like major travel in the next year. So
0: I think I've asked most of the questions that readers submitted on my Instagram when I asked what they wanted me to ask you, but one that I didn't is what are some of your favorite cookbooks right now, other than your own?
1: Um, so I know this babe, her name is Liz <laughs> and she came out with like a pretty Yeah, cool it was, cookbook. I
0: asked the question so that I could get you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> no, I do, well, I, do yeah, well, I do love your cookbook. I do love your cookbook and I wouldn't have shared about it otherwise just because like I really want people to trust me. So when they buy it, I really want them to feel good about it. And, um, so yeah, I do love your cookbook Thank you. and it just, I mean, part of that is like, I'm biased because I think you make very simple, like recipes that I like, which is like creative twists on like things that kind of sound familiar, Yeah. But, like, you know what I mean? So part of that is I just really like your type of food. Um, so I really like yours. Um, I love, even though I'm not like paleo, I love Julie Bauer's paleo, paleo MG cookbook. I think it's similarly, um, I think Julie's cookbook, I think Danielle Walker's cookbooks, similarly, like, yes, they do fall into like a paleo, like a specific whatever, but they're just like well-written recipes. You know what I mean? And they're like things that you can imagine yourself making and imagine making them like more than once. And so I'm really drawn to those because I could see, yeah, I could just see those becoming like staples in people's homes. Um, And also, I really like, Diane Sanfilippo has a keto book. It's called Keto Quick Start. Even if you're never doing keto, like, I really like that book. I think it's incredibly informative, has great recipes. And then actually, um, Terry Turner is coming to Nashville on June 20th. Do you know her? She has a blog called No Crumbs Left. And she just sent me one of her books. And it's, um, I actually gave it to my mom because my mom's doing keto. Even though it's not keto, it's more like paleo. But Terry Turner you would love her Instagram she does like gorgeous stuff and she's she kind of reminds me of like an Ina Garden you know just kind of like a guru and her book is Whole 30 approved by Melissa Hartwig but then there's this really fun section at the end that has like family classic recipes and I just like that because it's a nice balance all the books I love are exactly what I've said which is like beautiful, really well-written. Like I know a well-written recipe when I read one, like, and there's such a stark difference. So many cookbooks, it's really sad, but like the recipes don't turn out. Yeah. Um, And that's one of the things I've seen in your your reviews. It's like very consistently like your recipes turn out.
0: Well, I also feel like that's, To me, why one buys a cookbook versus I think two things are different than just because you can you can look up so many recipes online these days. So I think if you're going to bother to buy a cookbook,
1: right, it's like, why are you spending money when there's a million recipes online? And I think it's because one, it should tell a story
0: of some sort. And I think you getting that cohesive look at recipes versus one offs everywhere is what a cookbook can offer. But two, it should be very, very, very consistent because it should just be like uber tested versus You know, for a blog recipe, I'll make it once and then I'll like maybe have a friend make it or something like that. But it's not for my cookbook, I paid a recipe tester to test everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I
1: test everything three times and then I had a tester test. I would say she probably tested 85% of the book. There was a small group of things. I was like, this is such a simple recipe. Like I just don't want to waste her time. Like I knew I didn't need her to do that. But yeah, I test test everything three times and then she's, she's tested them. Yeah. Because, and as you know, also like there are so many variables you don't think of, you know, I mean, there's so many little things that can crop up when you do something. second time or the third time that you just would never see the first time. But unfortunately there are a lot of cookbooks out there that are really poorly written, has some crazy, and I mean, we all have mistakes. I'm sure my book will have mistakes just like my first book had mistakes, but I would say um, for the most part, the recipes turn out the way they're supposed to. And that's like the most important thing. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's really the main thing I look for. And I can tell like when I get a cookbook sent to me or whatever, I can tell pretty quickly if it's a, it's a good one. Yeah. All right, I have a few questions that I ask everybody. It's
0: kind of like a, a quick fire round, but I feel like nothing I do is like actually quick fire, so it's like bringing a, on, a slow fire round. Okay, so let's <laughs> slow burn. Let's start with: What do you think is the best way to spend 20 minutes every day in the name of being healthier or happier?
1: I would say either going for a very leisurely walk or cuddling with a pet if you have one. And go get a pet if you don't. Go get know. a pet if you don't, even if it's a goldfish. <laughs> it's, we well, can't cuddle a gold. I don't, I truly oh, don't true. understand just, when people have pets them. they can't cuddle. I'm
0: just like, what's the point of like that? And
1: I mean, I guess some people cuddle their snake, but I think the exact, yeah, go get a cat or a dog or a bunny or mm-hmm. a sugar bowl. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's a good one. Um, What is a purchase that you've made that has made your life healthier, happier?
1: I' am gonna go with my sound machine. <laughs> yeah, so I have a travel sound machine by the company. I don't know how to pronounce it, Dome or Dom, D O H M. It's just a white. It's a mechanical it's a white noise machine. White noise yeah, machine. and that's like a game changer for me. I really that I really I travel with it. Like, I, and I, have I a travel with a white one. noise machine. Yeah, too. and because a lot of people who who fall asleep easily still don't have like great quality sleep if there's a lot of ambient noise. It can still be like affecting their sleep even if they don't realize it.
0: I always wonder though, my dad was like, is it bad for your brain to be processing the white noise all night? I don't think your brain does process it. It just like tunes it out. Yeah.
1: I think that's the point of white noise is that your brain feels like it can like, your brain can shut off because there's nothing to focus on because it's the same over and over again. Interesting. I'll tell my dad that. It's also, I've heard too, that
0: it's what you hear in the womb. Like when Ooh, you're in the room, it kind of yeah. sounds like well, it makes sense
1: why a lot of like the sound apps or whatever have like a heartbeat or sort of like um yeah, that like those like consistent. Do you know rhythms. what um ASMR is? Yeah.
0: If you're in the YouTube land. Um it's so ASMR is like when people they like whisper talk or like they they just do all or they'll eat food or something like that. And it it's been shown in so many studies to like help people with anxiety. There's a huge YouTube world around it, but I was just watching another YouTube video that was about why ASMR works. And it was because you don't get close enough to people to hear sounds like whispering or chewing or stuff like that a lot. So it creates this perceived intimacy just because your brain is like identifying it as this incredibly close intimate moment that you would have experienced with like a parent when you were a baby. Whoa, that's
1: so weird. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I feel like so ASMR, I've like seen some ASMR videos, but I just they just don't do it. Like, I think I've maybe like once or twice, like felt really relaxed. But for me personally, unfortunately, like listening to somebody chew or like, I know there's ones that are like crinkling paper. Like, I don't know. I yeah. just ha- haven't like done it for me in particular. Well, and
0: some it's not just even like watching, like for me, the, so ASMR, you know, you're having what is called, what has been dubbed ASMR when you have like sort of a tingly head sensation. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's a hundred percent when people do my makeup. When, really? Yeah. Something about okay, having somebody do my people makeup. my hair
1: before. Yeah. I like when someone love it. Hair, like tickles your back or something. For maybe. me, it's
0: like worth, um, changing my whole career so that I have to do way more events that I like have people do my makeup for. Oh Cause wait, I'm just like, ah. I used really? it when I had anxiety stuff and I can't do this anymore because I'm not, I'm sort of like in the non-toxic world now, but when I had anxiety stuff before and I didn't, care about tax I would go to like the local counter at my Nordstrom and just get like a makeup oh, man. application. And, so and I would relaxed. feel so much better. Indicably. Yeah. And then I would have really? to like come up with a reason that I um wasn't buying anything. That's but, like sneak so away. Interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. That doesn't that doesn't do it for me, but I will say like getting someone playing with my hair for sure. Yeah. I love feeling. that feeling like, too melt into the floor. Or yeah, yeah, like did you, you ever do that crack and that egg thing when yes, you're yeah, any like back tickling or hair playing, like I love that yeah. Which I don't know I don't know how that would translate to a video, but maybe I'll look into that because there is
0: we, ASMR where they play with hair. Okay. Which is I don't maybe know. I'll it's try interesting. That. I mean that's
1: one of the perks of like living by myself. I can just watch weird ass shit. I feel
0: like ASMR is like porn where like if somebody walked walked in and you were
1: watching it, you'd like close your computer and be well, like <laughs>
0: I wasn't doing that. No, what was, are you talking about? Brushing my hair
1: over here. <laughs> well, I will say I watch YouTube to fall asleep sometimes, but it's just like channels I follow that are just like, you know, chill or talking or whatever. Um, and I keep it on like medium sound or medium volume, and then I just like kind of get tired, nothing like loud or crazy. But maybe I'll check that out.
0: Definitely. Yeah, like, I know like,
1: there's a whole world of it. There's a I mean, oh. you see
0: it everywhere on YouTube. Whole world of it the is huge. fall. if you haven't looked into it and you're listening, it's worth just checking out because it's but a see, crazy. There's world. also
1: certain like I don't know because some of the ones I've seen are like weird, yeah, that like make my skin crawl. Yeah, like, certain things like there was one um, that I saw that was like. It was like someone scratching a microphone or something.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, like, I think you oh, have to... I'm just going go to
1: go down the ASMR rabbit hole. Yeah,
0: just go down it and like... You should watch... Uh, there's, I think it was a Wired video that was like the explanation of ASMR. Yeah. And I feel like that's a good place to start because then just search like Wired ASMR maybe. Um, what does success look like for you?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I would say now success is more of a feeling for me because of this journey that I've been on. I have a really strong sense of when I'm feeling successful and it's this incredible, like feeling of like comfort and like, um, contentment. And that's not the same as laziness, but I have a very strong sense of at the end of the day, the opposite of anxiety for me, the opposite of like seeking and searching and restless, that like restless sense of like unfulfillment, you know, that I've kind of bobbed in and out of over the last like 10 years and maybe longer. So for me, I just really know when I'm in a good place. And that can mean I can feel successful and have had like the worst day ever on a like, objective level. But if I have that, like, if I have that feeling, then I'm like, all right, I'm in a good place, you know? Did you feel successful when your book came out? I did, yeah, for sure, even before I knew, I mean, even before it was, like, doing well. Because I really 100% believed I'd done everything that I possibly could. I'd put everything I could into it. Now. As, as you know, like, yeah, you could extend the book writing process and write a book for three years and probably catch more little errors or like do whatever. But I really put, I put my blood, sweat and tears into it. And so I knew whatever happened with it, I was going to be proud of it.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I, Did I, you feel yeah, I vacillate, you know, like I, some days I, would, yeah. I feel like I put so much in my book and, um, at the
1: time I would have said I couldn't have done anything else, but then I think the way that my brain works, but that's what I mean. You can't that that's what I mean. Like that that can't that can't include the things that you learn in hindsight because you cannot know them. All you can do is go off of how you felt when you turned that book in and what you put into it. Yeah. Because if you didn't have the stuff that you're thinking of now, that would mean you're a perfect alien human. So, you know what I mean? You'd be like the bionic person. So like nobody I mean, yeah. Well,
0: and it it implies that I've grown since I turned the book yeah, in exactly. and that's like, a good thing. I
1: discovered avocado oil like a month after I turned my book in and it's like the number one oil I use. I use it in, like all of my cooking and I got so many questions like what do I substitute for vegetable oils? And I turned it and I found it like a month later and I was like, "Dang it." You know, and um but uh, again, yeah, it's just it's it's what you did it, at that time yeah. that was your best, you know. Yeah. And you can tell like when you pick up a product, when someone looks at your book, I mean, you can tell what went into it. You can't fake that, you know? So what's
0: one mistake you made and what's something you think you really got right? Um,
1: let's see. I would say a mistake that I made and still make sometimes is I can get really defensive when it comes to actually, let me reword that. Sometimes I don't assume the best out of people that I'm in relationships with, whether it's family or friends or like a romantic relationship. I have a tendency to be a little bit, um, yeah, to sort of just be defensive and like make assumptions that when people say something to me that they mean it in a negative way as opposed to uh, assuming the best first and assuming Where they're coming you think from a good place. I don't from. know. I really don't. I think I've always kind of been that way because I've been told by like close friends over my whole life that I can be like particularly defensive. So I really don't know. I don't know where it comes from. Like maybe I don't, I don't, now I don't think my parents are like that. Maybe they were like that when they were raising three kids. Like maybe one of them was like, like that, but that's something I really work on is when someone says something to me and it's not even necessarily criticism so much as it's just when it's something like, I guess, well, maybe it is criticism, just something that they're not fully happy with, or they may disagree with or something, I can like immediately want to jump down their throat and be like, here's the reasons why you're wrong. And I think that you're trying to hurt me, you know? And so, now what do you do to stop that? So, I mean, that? now I really, part of my sort of like daily mindset, I mean, I do a whole bunch of like talking to someone at night and then there's things that just kind of run through my head on a daily basis. And Talking to someone, you mean like
0: some sort yeah, of Yeah, God or whatever or, you want to call yeah. it.
1: Um, I do like a whole prayer session, and it like varies every night. But but then during the day, like a couple things are running through my head. But one of them is just assume that people are coming from a good place for the most part. You know, like always, it's a mantra. Yeah, you yeah Always assume it's coming first from a place of of love, and um, that really helps. You know, for sure. I mean, I don't always get it right, but it definitely helps. And then, what's something that you feel like you really got right? Uh, I think what I really got right is listening to that intuition, man. Like we all have it, you know. I think especially women. I think we are so intuitive. And I first really heard my intuition like nibbling away at like my brain when I decided to you know go to culinary school and like change this career. That was the first time I felt it really strongly, and I listened to it, and I like really checked in, and I memorize what that feeling felt like and since then whenever i've had a gut intuition i i believe in it and i trust it and i follow it and it has not led me astray even through really tough decisions i love the idea of in those
0: moments of clarity to actually take a second and stop and like i love what you said like memorize what it felt like because i do think you have to train your body into mm-hmm.
1: the good things yes. and like
0: taking that moment to pause me like this is what it feels like to trust myself makes it that much easier the next time and the next time and the next time. It
1: really does. It's a, it's a practice and a habit like anything to sort of be like, Ooh, I'm feeling that this sort of weird dis-ease, this sort of weird restlessness and this thing that's like some for some reason, this thought keeps popping up or whatever. And then you almost have to have an out of body experience and sort of like fight with your rational brain and trust that, you know, irrational gut part of you and yeah, the more you do it the easier it is. And the more you trust it because you see the result.
0: Okay, can I ask you something as I struggle with this a lot as somebody who has struggled with anxiety over my whole life. I think it's hard to know when to trust your gut when sometimes what feels like your gut is saying like this plane is going to crash, um this is going to be scary just because anxiety tells you a lot of things that aren't true. And I think it can make it hard to get
1: clarity on when to trust yourself almost. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think for me, I deciphered – for me, there's a huge difference between my anxiety voice and my intuition. Like, they don't sound at all alike. What, what, what's the difference? Can you, like, So the anxiety in? is – I mean, it's negative. It's the hypochondriac. It's the – um Catastrophic thinking. And like I I can tell when I'm going down a rabbit hole of catastrophic thinking. My intuition, even if it's asking me to do something that's hard, it's always positive and like loving and comes with a deep sense of like, I don't know, like a very sort of it's a very like solid, like warm feeling, you know? And it feels very like protective and nurturing and all of that. Whereas My anxiety voice, which I've had my whole life, I mean, I thought I was going to die of an aneurysm like every day from like age eight to 12, um, is a frenetic sound and it's, it's just, yeah. And it's like, it doesn't give me time to like breathe or make my own decisions where like my intuition kind of like pushes at me and then like lets me go and then pushes at me. Um, so yeah, some of that I think is, is, is learning to, to tell the difference between, that anxious voice. I mean, your anxious voice is really going to be, um, prompting you towards that, like very id that like, you know, like self-protection part of it. Whereas your intuition is more going to be a sense of like trusting that what will happen will be what it's like supposed to be, you know, Mm. that's really,
0: yeah. I, 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 yeah, it's a, I think I need to practice that. Yeah, it's a practice
1: for sure. I mean, I got lucky because I happened to have a really big life reason to do that, you know? And then I felt it again about a, you know, a year ago and I felt it with my cookbook and I felt it with my second cookbook. It doesn't happen that often, but when it does like now, yeah, it's a very, it's very different than like the insomnia, anxious you know, rabbit hole. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Is there a place that you've been in the world that you feel like these people really got it right in terms of living a good life? And if so, where was it?
1: Yeah. The Amalfi Coast. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. They're just like living their best life. So this woman, uh, I went to a cooking class on the Amalfi Coast in Rivello. Her name is Mama Agata and she lives built in, in the cliffs of the Amalfi Coast and her life, which Particularly for you and I, because you know we love food. I think we're both pretty like romantic, creative people. She lives in this like grotto built into the coast, and um, and and she has a family, and then people who work for her, are all part of the community, and so you meet them all because she teaches these cooking classes outside, where well, they're covered, but it's like overlooking the cliff. Yeah, you get there and there is like lemon cake and coffee and then you just like make the stuff with her, but she'll be making it in her like beautiful terracotta kitchen, but but she's like, if you want to go out and take a nap, if you want to go pick the cherry tomatoes, which tastes like candy, you can do that. And she is just such a perfect example of someone who, she has a thriving business. That woman makes bank on those classes. And she, you know, like, I don't think her labor is like, I don't think her overhead is that expensive. I don't think her labor is that much. Um, and everyone that we met was just so full of love and so happy. And um, I think so much of it was just, they took the the life that they were given and they just like really like did a deep dive into the things they loved and created a world out of it, you know? And, um, there was never this sense of like, what else could I be doing or what else isn't because they've never left that they, I mean, she has, cause she's traveled, but the people who work for her and stuff and. Yeah, I just remember feeling like she'd gotten something, like, figured out. You did – I think
0: it's interesting because all – like, I – it sounds beautiful and wonderful, but it's interesting to me that you pointed out that she made bank. Do you think that money is, like, a key part of having a good life, or where do you think that factors
1: then? Yeah, I mean, I do think – I mean, I – so here's what I think about money. I think to a certain threshold, it does matter. I think to the point where – and this can change from person to person. Like, for me, I'm not somebody – I don't have – things that are like ridiculously expensive that I desperately want in my life. I want enough money to stay in my apartment, stay independent, save for when I'm, you know, save for retirement and be able to travel and have business expense and pay for, you know, new equipment. And so I think everybody has their own threshold. Um, that's not true. Everybody has a threshold below which you're in like real discomfort. And that's when you need those basic needs met. That above that basic threshold of human need, everyone's is a little bit different. I think, depending on where you like to spend your money, do you have a family? Uh, I think once you meet that threshold of your particular need, then I think the gratuitous money doesn't really matter. Um, I think what was cool about What she did that was so impressive to me is she probably only needs a a fraction of what she makes, but it it was amazing because what I see is that success, financial success seems to follow from people who create really sort of like niche, unique, high quality content from like what they're best at and what they really love. You know, I think she's just a great example of that.
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I loved it. It
1: was so fun.
0: I really hope you guys love this episode and I would love to hear what sort of resonated with you or what mindset shifts you had or what new things you're going to try out or any other questions that you have that we did not answer on the episode. So definitely come over to Instagram and screenshot stuff, put stuff in your stories, tag me. I'm at Liz Moody and tag Laura Lee. She's at Laura Lee Balanced and Lee has L-E-A. Definitely do that. Um, We would love to continue the conversation and to kind of make this a full circle conversation where we actually hear back from all of you. It absolutely makes our day. Also, I would love to hear your feedback on the episode over on iTunes. If you wanted to just leave a quick rating, a review, say one thing you loved about the episode, I massively appreciate it. I read every single review and they, I cannot tell you how much they impact my mood and my day. And they just make me feel like people are listening and enjoying the podcast. And it, it, it really means the world to me. So I so appreciate every time you guys do that. And yeah, I'm really excited. I will see you on the next episode of the podcast. It's a good one. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. And have a great one. If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. I've love, love, loved the Osea Undaria Algae Body Butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin, and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy these micro relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night, and the smell of the body butter. Holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long-ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin-identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years, and I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare-level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order, and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to malibu.com, promo code LIZMOODY.